y'all, and welcome to We Universe, the rudinous, tootinous podcast west of the Mississippi. Uh, I'm coming to you live from a closet in Texas, which means we all talk like this now. That's so, true. So, uh, my name is Steve Guntling. Hello, I'm Woody Siskowski. Still, still here on the on the, on the liberal coast. Yeah, you're still saying you all like a peasant, you know. But I'm I'm down yeah. here, you know, <laughs> exactly. I'm saying it like the cool people. We combine our words down here. Uh, yep. Today we are talking about uh, the most westerny game that there is. The the game that epitomizes <laughs> cow skulls and tumbleweeds. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X, right? That's a western, yes. absolutely. Yeah, totally. I think you, you you had to move out of Bellingham so you could go move to the planet Mira, which you won't <laughs> find on any star map apparently. Also, I, I, since you, you just kind of breeze past it quickly in the introduction, I just want the listeners to know that Steve is literally recording from inside of a closet. I am literally um, in a closet in Texas. My, my move is complete. I have successfully yeah. made it to Texas uh, after a very long and arduous week, uh, four days of which was spent trapped in Idaho because my truck broke down, so I was just kind of stuck in... Like, I was in a town, but, like, almost nothing was open except for a uh, Wings restaurant called Wingers. So I ate there four okay. times. Um, I mean, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, you know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. But, you know, it was the only place near me that had food. So that's where I ate. Also, um, moving truck broke down in Idaho sounds like basically your introductory inciting incident to every horror movie ever. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like... There were times it felt like that. It was a town that was almost completely empty. Like everything was either boarded up or closed because I was there on Labor Day. And uh, oh my so it was just like, and it was like roasting at 100 degrees all the time. So it, there was just kind of nothing going on. It felt very horror movie-ish. But, but the Hampton well, Inn I stayed in was comfortable. So <laughs> I can't, oh, okay. I can't Good. I'm too much. We're glad you made it to the calm oasis of Austin, Texas. Absolutely. And and, and we begin a, a new chapter on our podcast. Yeah. And what what better way to uh, explore a new chapter by playing a game that doesn't fit in very well with our podcast? It's true. It's true. It's, a game that uh, is difficult to play in uh, an hour or so. You know, it's difficult to really get a good sense of this game. A game that requires about forty hour commitment before you decide if you're in or out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just to decide if you're on board. I read. Uh, yeah. I, I was curious about how long this game actually is. I read estimates that said it's seventy hours just to complete the basic story. And if you want 100% yeah. it, you're looking at 300 hours plus. That sounds so, about right. It's definitely a game designed with that in mind. This is the game that if you're 14 years old and your parents bought you a Wii U and will only buy you one video game, this is what you ask for. This is the one because this will tide you over until uh, death. Yeah, until until your <laughs> death of old age. You will You will continue yep. on for a long time. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this series and about this game, but uh, first let's talk a little bit about what else we've been playing. It's been it's been a week. We've we we pre-recorded, yeah. we front-loaded, we pre-recorded for a bit, so it's been a little bit. What have you been playing lately? Uh, well, I've been having a good time um, going through some more Metal Gear Solid games. Um, we're finishing up that series on the Patreon. Mm -hmm. Metal Gear Solid Four still fun. I was yeah. thought I was going to turn on that, but I like that still, game. Still good. Yeah, um, flawed, but we'll we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and the other one I've been playing, randomly I got super sucked into Super Blood Hockey. Oh. I've been playing so much Super Blood Hockey, which is really weird, considering it basically has the complexity of an NES game. I mean, that sounds um, perfect for a sports game for me. Yeah. But uh, that's been really good. And the other one that I've dipped my toes in is a game called Neon White, Ooh. which is very popular on uh, Steam and Switch. It's not a game that I was initially drawn to, aside from hearing good things about it, because it has um, this sort of very odd anime edgelord aesthetic where you mm. are these masked anime characters, kind of like they look like they're taken out of Hotline Miami or something, sure. who are sent to heaven. Um, hanging out with a bunch of very sort of um, pretentious, uh, foppish angels who make you do all of their dirty work. Yeah, so you're up in heaven and like these foppish, pretentious angels kind of make you do their dirty work, which is sort of walking around and, or I guess more accurately running around and killing all these demons. And it's a first person game, but the thing that's interesting about it is it's really more of a speedrun simulator than a shooter. Like, you get guns, but the idea is to run through the level as quick as you can, 
um, kill all of the demons in it and then advance and you progress based on how quickly you do it. Um, and the guns also have these alternate abilities. So it basically the gameplay comes from comboing these on these things. Like you might pick up a gun, use it to shoot an alien a couple times, and then use a special ability to get a double jump in the air, and then pick up a different gun and use its special ability to launch a grenade to blow through a door or to like grenade launch yourself up. So it's kind of like this bite-sized um, little first-person platforming challenge game. Um, that's pretty addictive and runs really smooth. So that's that that's been a cool game so far. I'm excited to dig into it more. But uh, the actual aesthetic of the game is very very irritating. And unfortunately, another like your reward for exploring these levels more in depth is more dialogue with all of these annoying characters. So I'm not. I wish that was a little better, but I, I really like the way the game plays. Yeah, I mean, some every once in a while, <clears throat> excuse me, there'll there'll be like a, a very anime styled game that's just like calls to me despite me not liking that style in general you yeah. know like that i tend to find it a little off-putting but like i've heard good things about neon white so I, I... yeah it, it's neat it, it it has a unique gameplay loop and it's kind of like a parkour game i, I think but one that actually your character does the what, what you want him to do oh nice okay uh, as for me, I haven't been playing too much, but uh, while I was trapped in Idaho, I was very grateful to have my Switch with me, and I downloaded uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus. Uh, so oh, yeah. I am finally giving that one a try. It is, uh, it's a game that really, really, really uh, takes its time getting started. It is uh, okay. a lot. Okay. It's, it's structurally very similar to like pokemon red or blue or really any pokemon sure. game every pokemon yeah. they, they have kind of the same exact kind of start but this one like every time you're like leaving to go do a mission somebody stops you and says oh wait one more thing can i tell you this okay here we are Oof. i'm gonna take you out to the place oh wait 10 more things let me just tell you these real quick that sounds very so annoying it took a whole lot of time to get started and i was kind of losing interest I will say I'm finding the actual gameplay itself to be a lot of fun. It's a really, uh, they, they really kind of overhauled the Pokemon catching mechanics. Now it's like more of a third person action game where uh, you sneak up on Pokemon and like can aim and throw your ball manually at them. Sometimes if they're aggravated, you need to throw another Pokemon at them and fight them for a little bit and wear them down before you can catch them. Just are like the regular fighting Pokemon. mechanics this like the turn-based things that we're so used to, yes, or it is. is it a real time? Okay, yeah, so yeah. that's the same. So it's a nice compromise. It's a nice way of splitting. Like, okay, we've got some traditional Pokemon mechanics going on here, and then we have this open-world stuff that feels a, a little bit more innovative and a little bit more original. Uh, and I mean, do you think? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just wondering, do you think that this style of gameplay is going to set the precedent for what the newer Pokemon games are doing? Or is this just kind of a, a, side, a side experiment the same as like Let's Go Pikachu or Eevee? I'm, I'm really hoping these mechanics are going to be implemented into Pokemon games from now on. I don't know if this is kind of like a dry run for that or not, um, but I really kind of hope it is because it's very satisfying to play a Pokemon game like it's a third person shooter, you know, to like walk around yeah. and like aim at a, a far-fetched that you see on the horizon and, like, sneak up on it meticulously and, like, you really hope you can nail it with a different ball. Like, that's a lot of fun. Um, and it's it seems to be a much breezier game than some of the other Pokemon. Uh, it also seems to have, like, a definitive endpoint, which I'm approaching. Uh, okay, okay. So, you know, it's, it's not quite the time investment that you would need for, like, a Pokemon Red or Blue. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, some rough starts, a couple of uh, unpolished edges to it. But uh, generally, I'm liking this game. I, I, I hope I, they implement more of these features. I feel like a lot, I don't know, I guess it's easy to think this for every Pokemon. But I feel like the next Pokemon game, which I believe comes out later this year, um, has kind of a lot riding on it after... I think Sword and Shield kind of left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, certainly mine. Yeah. Um, just it's the sense like, OK, you finally have console level hardware behind this Pokemon game and you're still running around in the grass with enemies randomly appearing. You know, right. there's no sense of immersion. And so hopefully that that seemed like this Legends game maybe tried to remedy that a little bit. You know, Nintendo is notoriously slow to adapt to their big properties, but when they finally come around, like, the results are always fantastic. Think, like, Breath yeah. of the Wild. Think Mario Odyssey. You know, like, so I, I hope that the success of those games are going to encourage them to take a few more risks with uh, the tried-and-true Pokemon formula. And that, that feels kind of like what this is. Like, I hope this is a thesis statement, not just like a... Uh, 
like a one-off. Yeah, totally. All right, well, let's dig into the rich and varied history of the <laughs> Xenoblade series. Uh, so Xenoblade Chronicles X is the game we're covering today. It was released December 4th, 2015. It's developed by Monolith Soft and published by Nintendo. And this is a Wii U exclusive, uh, one, of, yeah. one of the rare Wii U exclusives. Uh, hard, to, hard to find one that didn't eventually get ported to the Switch. But this one, uh, I, I believe, might even be too big to put onto the Switch in its current form, like, without completely overhauling it, so... That, that, that is possible, like, if nothing else, I'm sure they can store a lot more data on a, on a Blu-ray disc than they can on a, uh, one of those little game cards for the Switch, yeah. but... I don't know, like Breath of the Wild seemed to have no trouble with it. Yeah, yeah. And that game, that game pretty huge. Yeah, it, it might just be a matter of outdated technologies. I'm not a developer, I don't know. Sure. I, can, I can speculate all I want. But I know that uh, the, the developers have expressed interest in porting that, and I know there's a fan community for this, but uh, it's never happened. I would also be curious just in terms of like, level of monetary gain that Nintendo sees. Oh yeah. Because even if, even if it was able to do it would cost a lot of money to port it over and like how how big it like this game kind of feels like a game that has no real cultural tale like this you know one what i in mean particular, like, yeah i mean i i know i mean we'll get into the xeno series but yeah this one in particular seems kind of like the uh the the lost middle child you know it's it's uh uh it's just kind yeah. of like in the in the ether. In some ways, like it's fitting that this game is stuck on the Wii U because this is essentially the Wii U of the Xenoblade series. It kind of is. It's yeah. like this totally wa weird one-off that has a lot of cool ideas in it, but there's never really a sense that it caught on or had you know had the fan base to make it work. Well, I mean, we'll, and it's kind of going to be a relic. We'll preface that now, like before we even get into any of this. Like we were saying at the end of our last episode, neither of us were quite sure what this game was. Yeah. Like I and so like yeah again that's a good comparison the Wii U thing because they changed the title in such an incremental way that you're not sure if this is a remake or a reboot or a whole new game or a side series. So like well, we were and, not and, sure and, what this was. And even X yeah that, let's get that right out of the start. Xenoblade Chronicles X is such an awful awful name. It really like, is. I think that Xenoblade Chronicles is certainly not a a great game. Like or a great a great I think it's a great game. I don't think it's a great name for a game. Sure. Because so many RPGs are built upon nonsense words yeah. that they just kind of bleed out of your head. Yeah, yeah. Um and like then to just put chronicles at the end also is not distinct. Right. He's like there's just a series of words that you can insert like chronicles and legends and like tales of or saga. And it's just Yeah, exactly. And so but to have X after it makes it even worse cuz X I think is basically the vaguest Su um, suffix that you can put on something. It really like Xenoblade is. Chronicles 2, I get what that is. Yeah. You know, um, I guess like Mortal Kombat X was probably the best use of an X after the title because, because it's the it was. 10th. It was the 10th game and it kind of felt like a, a reboot of something new. Yeah. Whereas here, yeah, we were totally waffling on like, is this. It, this to me sounds like a remake of Xenoblade Chronicles. That's which, what I would have thought Xenoblade Chronicles X would be. Yeah, and that's precisely which, what I thought it was. And that's very much not what it is. Uh, it no, is, not even close it is to its that. Own, uh, it's its whole thing. But I think to understand this game, we need to look back at the entire Xeno series because it has a very complicated <laughs> the and weird history. The legend of Xeno Chronicles. Basically, yeah. yeah. It, it, this dates all the way back to the PS1. And to talk about the series, we have to start with a guy named Tetsuya Takahashi uh, if you are a JRPG nerd, you likely already know his work, whether or not you know his name, because he cut his teeth as a graphic designer on some of the best games ever made, meaning that he designed characters and levels for Final Fantasy IV, Final Fantasy VI, and Chrono Trigger. Uh, Woody and Ooh, I good work. both on the record thinking Final Fantasy VI may be the best uh, game of all time, arguably. Yeah. It's up there. Sure. Um so in 1998, Takahashi was given the chance to direct his own game. Now, originally, he had pitched a concept for Final Fantasy VII before that became an actual thing. And Square liked his idea, but they thought it was too dark for a mainstream Final Fantasy game. And so they let him kind of redevelop the idea into an original concept uh, for an ambitious RPG called Xenogears. Right, uh, okay. So this game caused quite a bit of controversy at the time uh, due to its... 
kind of heady religious and psychological themes. And there were some Catholic groups that were actually pressuring Square Enix not to localize this game for the U.S. Wow. Uh, I, did, I did not know this. And I have I have play, put a decent amount of hours into Xenogears. Yeah. Um, Good game. It's Yeah, I mean, it's very much a PS1 RPG in terms so. of how it looks. Um, and it just has blocks that I'm not able to get past in the sense that it's an anime mech game. And so a lot, it's just a lot of jibber jabber in the game that doesn't quite hold my interest. And I don't remember the, um, I don't remember one thing about the combat system. It, so I'm it, not sure that that speaks highly of that particular aspect. I remember it was like the, the, the turns were mapped to the buttons. Like each character was mapped to a face button. Uh, I okay. remember that, but I don't remember the exact flow of the series. But I think the overarching plot was it was vague, but it had something to do with like killing God. Like I think literally the the mm -hmm. final boss is God, and your goal is to kill him. That makes I mean so, that's the final spoiler alert for Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah, yeah, that's the final boss of Xenoblade Chronicles too. Exactly. So. Yeah, and and Catholic groups. Yeah, I mean you can understand why they maybe he's a very big fan of the that. Golden Compass apparently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, so the, uh, but Square did actually uh, release the game in the U.S. They did. Uh, they didn't include it in PAL markets, like for for Europe or Australia. Uh, and I'm not sure if that was because of uh, the the Catholic push on that, or just because they didn't think it would be very profitable there. But RPGs were having a big moment in the U.S. Right. at the time, so it would be dumb not to release this here. And the game did well, uh, partially because of the controversy, I think. But it sold more than a million copies. Um, and critics really love the game. I think they agree it feels a bit unfinished. Uh, you might remember, hmm. like, the second disc of that game is kind of like, the first disc is like, like I don't know, like 15 hours, and then the second disc is like two hours, and there's not a lot <laughs> on it. Like, it, okay. it, it feels like they kind of rushed to the end. Um, yeah. But still, like, uh, the game developed this huge audience, and Square kind of bandied the idea around for a sequel. However, production with Square stalled out, and Takahashi decided that he was going to part ways with the company, and he and his wife, who goes by the name Soraya Saga, they decided to found their own company called Monolith Soft. Uh, and okay. they set up, they were set up as a subsidiary of Namco in the beginning. So it was that here the Takahashi hoped he could build on some of the concepts of his original game. But since Square still owned the rights to the, uh, the name Xenogears and the characters and that, that he had to take a slightly different approach. And the result is the Xeno Saga trilogy, uh, which uh, are the three PS2 RPGs that bear kind of a slight resemblance to Xeno Gears, but legally distinct. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like, oh no, 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 clearly we're not Xeno Gears. You see, it's a different word at the end there. It's a it's a saga now. It's a it's a totally different thing. And I've never played any of these games. Um, I haven't either. I, I always sort of, I don't know. I have identified them, and kind of their brand seems like. We, we have the basic aesthetics of a JRPG, but we're kind of going to make everything a little more complicated for you, be it aspects of the story. Um, we're going to delve into kind of deeper themes or, um, you know, questions of morality and things like this. Yeah. Um, and like combat systems are just going to be more complicated than maybe you intend. Yeah. They're a little less driving for a general audience than your Final Fantasy, than your usual Square RPG. And the reputation of these games at the time is like, you know, they found a cult audience because it's hard to find a JRPG that doesn't have at least some yeah. kind of cult following. Exactly. But uh, the reputation for these games is that they're pretty good, but they maybe rival Metal Gear in terms of lengthy, uh, nonsensical cutscenes. Okay. Uh, so yep, possibly even longer. Wow. Um, but as far as the connections between Xenogears and Xenosaga, uh, Takahashi himself said, I've got a quote here, it's probably more suitable to say that it follows the direction and style of Xenogears. Now that we're under a different company, we figured we should start everything from scratch. Though there are a few familiar faces that serve as important characters, others are more like self-parodies, so we don't really want Xenogears fans to overreact. Like movies, sometimes you have the director of the movie or friend of the leading actor appear as cameos, so it's similar to that. So that clarifies nothing. Um, and basically it's just saying like, yeah, it's the same, but it's not yeah, totally. And it, it's an odd, like I was wondering, I was trying to remember what the prefix Xeno means. And I think it's like I mean, foreign because like, like yeah, Xenophobia exactly. is a fear of foreigners, right? Yep, exactly. And it's just odd that that's sort of the connection between all these games. He's like, okay, 
we're, we're they're all foreign. They're not based on gears. Yeah. That's not the connection that we want to do. We uh, I, I guess and it's Everyone just in maybe these games is Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> just to show that like this is taking place in kind of an alternate distinct world yeah. from from our own. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. That doesn't feel like something that needs to be that established in any sort of uh, fantasy RPG universe. No, exactly, exactly. It's kind of taken for granted. But I mean, I know those uh, Xeno Saga games are pretty coveted collector's items at this point. Um, like, yeah. Like most PS2 RPGs in particular seem to be really expensive. But uh, Monolith Soft would continue to work with Namco for a few years. Uh, they also worked on the Baton Kaitos games, which I think came out on <laughs> GameCube. Again, terrible yeah. titles, uh, supposed yep. to be pretty good RPGs. Um, but uh, they weren't really finding much of an audience with these games, and Takahashi wanted to move on. So they broke their association with Namco in 2008 and began a profitable new relationship with Nintendo. So Monolith's first few games with Nintendo did not get a U.S. release. Uh, their U.S. debut was actually a Dragon Ball game for the Nintendo DS. Um, so hmm. it might be good. Those Dragon Ball games are weirdly pretty good. And I've never. What, I've, what, what are, I thought they were fighting games. Are they fighting games? Or are they something else? There, are, there is a fighting game series, and there's an RPG series, and uh, it's the RPG series kind of feels like Secret of Mana. It's pretty fun. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, worth checking out, especially the Game Boy Advance ones. Um, and I, this is coming from someone who's never watched a Dragon Ball episode in his life, um, but <laughs> I still enjoy these games. Um, but Nintendo was impressed with Monolith's work ethic and by Takahashi's vision, and they took a pitch from him to kind of make the next spiritual sequel in this Xeno series that he was kind of building. So Takahashi had been working on developing an idea he had about a fantasy world that sprung up on the back of two warring gods. And I just want to go on the record right here saying, that's the coolest fucking idea. Like two <laughs> gods that are unbelievably massive who kill each other in battle, and that's like a planet. Yeah. And you can like walk across the swords that they have stuck in each other's necks to get to the other <laughs> side of the planet. That's fucking cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, so originally this game was going to be called Monado, Beginning of the World. Uh, but the title was changed to <laughs> Xenoblade Chronicles to pay homage to the games that Monoblith had been working on prior. So Xenoblade uh, debuted in Japan in, 19, uh, in 2010. I was about to say <laughs> 1910. <laughs> it's yeah, really... it, it predated video game technology by 60 years. It was released <laughs> as a series of scrolls. It was really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. But it debuted in Japan in 2010 to rave reviews and unexpectedly big sales numbers. And the hype grew so strong in the JRPG fan community that some dedicated fans launched an online campaign to help uh, encourage Nintendo to port this game to the U.S. They called this Operation Rainfall. And uh, they weirdly got a lot of uh, 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 traction on this because not only did they successfully get uh, Xenoblade Chronicles translated, they also got uh, games like The Last Story and Pandora's Tower which were also mm, okay. uh, Wii RPGs that uh, were were on the cusp of not getting a translation. And it was nice, too, because the this was sort of tail end of the Wii, and it was pretty clear that most of the major sellers on the Wii were not catering towards uh, RPG audiences. No, not a hardcore so crowd it, on the Wii, really. Th this game was very welcome at the time. Oh, yeah, it felt like a breath of fresh air, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, although there were some limitations with the release. So the game debuted in the U.S. in 2012, but it was only available through GameStop or through Nintendo's uh, brick-and-mortar store in New York City. So those are the only wow. ways you can get it. Um, so as a result, the original Wii copy of this game is still pretty valuable, uh, despite the series kind of being a slow-growing hit over here. Um, it's been followed up with uh, two sequels now, uh, as well as a 3DS port that's actually really good. And uh, a spin-off game that we will be talking about today, but that's the 3DS port is one of the few games I believe that requires you to have the new 3DS, like yes. as part of its. But it, I do remember that as being fairly mind blowing. The idea that they could port a Wii a Wii game to a handheld system, and now like and it looks you know, really Switch, good. Like I, I think yeah, that's how I played Switch that is game. Kind of, well, I've never finished Xenoblade Chronicles. I will uh, uh, confess right now, but okay, uh, fair I, enough. I played quite a bit of it, and I played it on the 3DS. Nice. Um, as for Monolith Soft, the company has further cemented their relationship with Nintendo by moving their headquarters to Kyoto, right next to Nintendo's headquarters. And they've actually been brought in to do like polish and do some coding on several huge games. So they are their DNA is on Skyward Sword, on Pikmin 3, on Smash Brothers Brawl, on Breath of the Wild, on Animal Crossing: New Horizons, and on the upcoming Breath of the Wild 2, which actually just got a new title release, and I'm forgetting the name of it. But we know that's coming uh, out in Tears of the Black Tiger. It's called. Some, yes, it's called Save the Green Planet. 
Yes. <laughs> it's called Sukiyaki Western Django. <laughs> um, it's called The Good, the Bad, and the Weird. <laughs> uh, I saw the devil. Okay. I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, it's called Tears of the Kingdom. So I was close. <laughs> you were I knew close. tears were involved. Yeah, you were actually close. You were actually close. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, weirdly, like this came from this this series that was sort of this cult hit. It was just released in, at GameStop and only on the Wii, kind of towards the end of the Wii's like relevance. Uh, and, and it's become like kind of a big cult hit on the Switch. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and 3 are both out on the Switch now, and they've been big sellers. Um, so it, this, this definitely kind of gradually found its audience. It took more than 20 years for this series to really take off, but uh, pretty cool. No, that that is very cool. And I want to like, I have, I... It's so rare now that I actually really get into an RPG and it kind of gets into my self-conscious and I think about it a lot. Like that happened all the time when I was in high school playing Super Nintendo PS1. It's like I was like, oh, these RPGs are so good. This is my favorite genre. And now it's like every time I start an RPG, it just feels like a chore. And it's so hard to sort of make the step to be like, all right, I'm going to be in on this. And Xenoblade Chronicles for the Wii was one of the most recent games. And I know it's not recent by any means now, but that really got under my skin. And I played it all the way through. I took my time through lots of side quests. And I think it is really a wonderful game. And I'm glad that it's sort of, you know, put this got these sequels out. I have not gotten around to playing any of the sequels. Um, but I would like to. I'd like to play Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which I heard is really good. And I'm glad so. that you played all the way through it. I always feel really guilty that I have not finished Xenoblade Chronicles 1 because, like, I, I've probably played, like, maybe 15 hours of it. Uh, yeah. And every time, whenever I really start to get into that game, something else comes up. I get distracted by something, some big mm-hmm. life change, some big sure. something or other. It kind of... And if you... If you put that game down for too long, you'll kind of get lost. Yep. It has some weirdly complicated mechanics that you need yep. a little bit of time to get used to. And you do get a little bit lost if you're not following the story. And plus, I don't know what it is. I think something about getting older, my attention span has gone to shit. Like, sure. I've always <laughs> yep. had ADD. It's getting worse and worse as I get older. So, like, it's it's harder and harder to capture my attention for the length of time that this game requires. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the length of time that the... Uh... The original Xenoblade Chronicles requires is probably about half right. or it's, substantially it's, less of what Xenoblade Chronicles X is. It's kind of a, a modest-sized RPG in the scheme of yeah. things, yeah. So, like we said, as with for Xenoblade Chronicles X, we weren't totally sure what it was going to be, but we can now say for sure this is a totally different game. It's a spin-off that's set in the same universe as Xenoblade, but there aren't really any shared characters. There's no I don't know. To see to say that it's even a spin-off feels generous in the sense it's it's saying that like boy, I don't even know. It's saying that like the world of there like there will be blood is a spin-off of it happened one night. <laughs> Because they both they both take place in planet Earth. You know what I mean? It's sure. just like they both involve humans and an art style. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's it, a good way to put it. Because it's like this one, if uh, Xenoblade Chronicles is kind of a, a fantasy RPG, this one's heavy sci-fi. Um, I think yeah. it, it leans on that a lot more. I think mechs have kind of been an element of most of this series for most of the time but like yeah xenoblade chronicles kind of did away with a lot of it one of the characters in xenoblade chronicles has kind of like a half electronic cyborg suit as part of her design so there are still elements there and the monado which is kind of your main weapon has sort of a futuristic sci-fi feel yeah you're right it's definitely more emphasis on a fantasy world and it's more of a traditional kind of uh, a quest kind of uh uh, setup yeah yeah which you know what i kind of i kind of like more i uh, even though i'm not a huge fantasy guy in general like sci-fi rpgs just really bore me visually they yeah they look so bland and that's one of my big issues with knights of the old republic is you just spend so much time walking around gray hallways with sort of sliding open doors that I have really a lot of trouble getting invested in it. For sure. And I'm kind of the same way. Like the exception would be games like Mass Effect, which, but those kind of lean more heavily towards third person shooters. They don't feel, right. they, they're definitely like, they have RPGs in their DNA, but it definitely feels a lot more dynamic. And so it's, it's easier to get into. Um, but yeah, so Takahashi, 
uh, brought Nintendo a pitch for a sci-fi themed RPG that he wanted to build out. And Nintendo liked the idea and they asked that Takahashi pair it at least tenuously to the Xeno series to kind of help round out the brand. And also the Wii U needed a high profile RPG. Uh, we right. didn't really have one that was really going to capture people's attention. I think Paper Mario was still a few years off, uh, and there's that uh, Tokyo Session. Tokyo Mirage Sessions is another one. Another game. We have no idea what it is. Yeah, no clue what it is. I know people like it, and uh, it got a Switch port, but I don't know beyond that. Um, I've kind of tur- I think part of my my mental turn on RPGs in general is I get sick of the fact that every RPG has, like, a fan base right in the the sense that like people ask ask me they're like oh have you ever played dark cloud that game is so good and or like wild arms and it's like sure legend of dragoon yeah yeah and it's like okay am i really gonna invest like i feel like the standard has to be so much higher for these games based on how much time they ask of me right and i just feel like RPGs in a lot of ways are built around a sunk cost fallacy kind of yeah it's like you you had this you had dark cloud when you were uh, when you first got your PS2 and you sunk a hundred hours into it, like you're gonna mentally think it's great. Totally. Like you, you're not. Your brain is not gonna let you say, "Oh, I, I played a hundred hours of this game. It was really pretty subpar." Right. Like you yeah. just are gonna make up that it was a great game. Unless you're a weirdo right. like me who needs to be like a completionist about stuff and feels guilty when he doesn't finish sure. a lengthy RPG. Also, before somebody writes in and tells me how Dark Cloud is great and I shouldn't be pooping on it, I've never actually played Dark Cloud, and that's just the random example I'm pulling out. I'm sure it's um, fine, yeah. It's, Legend yes, of Dragoon exactly. fans, don't come at me. Yeah. Um, but so originally this was going to be a launch title for the Wii U, but the production hit several delays. Uh, this was Monolith's first HD game, and so they really struggled to make this world kind of fit onto one disc. And Nintendo also insisted that the team include an online multiplayer component, uh, which they had never done before. So the game missed its launch window by more than three years. I think that this online multiplayer requirement kind of kneecaps the game in a little bit. Um, It kind of bums me out. Like, obviously, if to go and play this game now, those online multiplayer components are totally dead. Um... But I think a weird choice that this game makes, or something I don't like very much, is that you get a nameless protagonist um, that you kind of create. That's always a and, bit of a bummer, yeah. Yeah, that that to me is always a tip-off. It's like, oh, it's this kind of RPG. Because like, and, you know, that's my thing. I don't really want to put myself into this game. I'd like a, a likable protagonist that I can experience this adventure through, you know? Like, I yeah. want him to have a voice and a name and a personality. And it's still total. like plenty of games have threaded the needle of allowing you to in play a customized character, but still follow their story very distinctly. Yeah. Like you said, the Mass Effect games earlier, like you can customize sort of your example of Commander Shepard, mm-hmm. but they are still a set character who fits a meaningful way into the story. Yeah, because the problem here is you just get some sort of nameless person and then characters you know have to refer to you in this very awkward way where they're like oh what does our silent newcomer think about this and then they kind of look at you and you have to decide whether or not to nod or shake your head and it's like this is just such a weird unnatural way for characters to communicate in the world yeah it just kind of removes me just like give me a set name i i don't mind but they can't do that because Part of the multiplayer component is that your customized character sort of gets drafted into other people's world. So if right. you were all it's kind playing of a the same style, yeah, yeah, and if you were all playing the same hero, that wouldn't work. Right. Um, yeah. So it would just get too confusing. Everyone has to have their own like distinctive characters. And like I was, I was encouraged when I saw like when you're customizing your character, they give you a bunch of voice options and they tell you like the actual voice actor next to it. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So we're gonna get some some voice acting from this guy. And really it's just like, oh, Yuri Lowenthal from Spider-Man, he 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 just grunts or he goes, ha. Yeah. Oh, 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 <laughs> I'm just like, all right, so you just you're getting letting me customize my grunts basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh so this game was announced for American markets in 2013 under the title X, uh which got it confused with the Ty West movie, I think. And, but uh, Pearl <laughs> yeah. is coming out. Xenoblade Chronicles Pearl is coming out pretty soon and then Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles Blade Origin story. Yeah, yep. yeah, so it's going to be good. Um and unlike the previous game, this one would be localized worldwide from the get-go and would be available in more retail stores. 
So uh, this game has a special edition, which has kind of become one of my favorite things I have on my shelf. Like, this is a wow. really gorgeous special edition. It comes with a 100-page art book, this very slick-looking custom USB uh, thumbstick that has the full soundtrack on it, uh, collectible cards, <laughs> and, a couple co- and a copy of the game with an alternate cover. Uh, and so it, it I just, just looks good s- on the box. The box no. looks is big and long and looks great. I, I, I have seen it. I agree that it is a very nice looking box, but I will say like it's a bummer that in terms of an art book and a USB stick with the soundtrack that the art in this game is very uninteresting and the soundtrack is quite annoying. Oh, I was going like, dis- to I was going to disagree. I, okay. I really enjoyed the soundtrack. Uh, like interesting. I found like they I don't know. I, I think they throw they threw a bunch of uh, different elements together here. There's like a little bit of like. Japanese hip hop, and then there's some like mm-hmm. Indo-European like uh, influences, and and uh, uh, it's kind of fast paced, and it's got a good epic scope to it. I don't know. I it, I liked the music. It's a very strange soundtrack. Like it definitely doesn't sound the way I would anticipate. You know, most just usual JRPGs sounding. Yeah. Like a lot of the music does have lyrics to it. Right. Um, and it's a it's a much it, more driving pace because this is meant to be a more like action oriented, uh, fast paced. RPG. Right, but some of them seem to kicked in at weird times. Like I was just running around the residential district of the city and it kind of has this thumping techno music and I'm like, "Whoa, this makes it feel a little weird that I'm trying to help someone rescue their cat." Yeah. Like I mean, you know, yeah. so it's it's I I I well, and I'll push back on the art style as well. I think I think the art style here is gorgeous. I think the big problem here is that the technology isn't quite keeping up with the vision of it. Yeah. Like in terms of uh, things like character or like creature design uh, or the design of the actual planet or the sp- uh, the space station where the, the central hub of the game takes place. I think all of that looks amazing. Um, hmm. There's a really great scope to it. Maybe I'm just a sucker for like eroded mountains, you know, a mountain, a mountains that are kind of like up on a stick basically and like are kind of okay. impo- gravitationally impossible. Sure. But they just sure. make for cool, weird alien landscapes. And I just like that you're walking through the world and these big lumbering beasts are walking around and you can just stride between its legs and you don't have to engage in a fight with it, you know. So I and I again, like I think this series does a great job at finding unique settings. Um, The basic setup of this game, uh, there's this devastating alien war and Earth is destroyed in the crossfire. And there's this it's it's very much like a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy thing. Exactly. Very much just in the way or like uh, kind of close to Battlestar Galactica in a lot of ways, too, because it's there's just this big, gigantic spaceship that has all of the remaining survivors of Earth. They come under attack. They have to jettison their habitat, which is this gigantic, like ice blue ball, which is really cool looking. They have to drop that onto this planet uh, it crashes there, and the survivors just turn this into their new hub. They call it New Los Angeles, and it's like an actual functional city with a downtown and like a Rodeo Drive and like <laughs> weird things like that. So yeah, like we said, we play as a nameless avatar, uh, which is never fun. But you're you're resuscitated by Elma, who's a young soldier with an elite unit called Blade, and mm-hmm. Blade's central mission is just to rescue the remaining humans from the other parts of the ship. So like they were jettisoned in life pods all across the planet. And they're kind of trapped in suspended animation. And you need them to kind of... These are supposed to be like the great minds of Earth. The ones who can fix the ship and get them like back up into the sky. Yeah, so it's kind of a cool premise in the sense that you've only been on this planet for two months. But they already have this sort of fairly built up city because they have advanced mech technology. Um, But you feel like you are sort of creating the foundations of a new world but the city is already pretty built up. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like it, it's kind of been existing and thriving for a while without you. Yeah. Uh, but you get recruited to join Blade, and then you just go out. And there's kind of like a mission-based structure to this game. Oh, yeah, it's totally mission-based. Like, this game is that weird sort of gray area we've encountered a couple times. Um, one, of our, one of our patron episodes, we played the game CrossCode, um, which is an yes. indie RPG, which has a very similar structure to this game, I think, where it feels like it's an MMO, but it's sort of or it's it's sort of a single player focused trapped in an MMO's body. Where yeah. there's lots of different quests that you can kind of tackle at your own speed. Um and like lots of random side characters walking around. 
but it feels like it really wants a bigger multiplayer world. Yeah. And it's the quests, the actual story quests don't really push your way forward. Like there's not like, I mean, the first Xenoblade Chronicles was a pretty distinct, like obvious story right from the get go. You know, you play this, you play this kid Shulk who finds this magic sword and you're like, oh, now you have to go to the mountains to unleash its power or whatever. Yeah. Um, whereas this game is kind of just like, all right, you're part of this um, habitat forming police force, like go out and explore, go out and rescue people, go out and plant these probes um, and just kind of find missions to do a little bit at your own pace. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, kind of a, uh, it, it, it's less, uh, propulsive than like the more story driven uh xenoblade chronicles yeah and this this is a setup that i just have more trouble with like Hmm. i think that the this game whether for good or for ill this is a game that you have to buy into basically right from the start yeah and you have to decide all right this is the game i'm excited about and that i'm into and that i'm ready to put the hours into because I don't think the beginning of this game does a good job of kind of sucking you into it. Yeah, um, I, I I think it does a good job of introducing the world and of uh, getting you excited about, or at least in my case, it got me excited about exploring this world a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, interestingly, like most games like this will overload you, like they'll front load all of this uh, uh, tutorial stuff and just like a bunch of shit like that. And this game, I almost wanted a little bit more of that because it yeah they explain they they explain a lot about the world and like the rules for certification yeah you have to spend a lot of time discussing there's some bullshit parts at the beginning where they're like trying to convince you whether or not you want to join as a blade yeah and then when the conversation actually comes up about whether you have no choice it's one of that that old school thing where they just give you the no option but don't let you select it right and it's like if you're in the long run not going to give me any choice about this why did you have to spend all this dialogue trying to convince me right. that i wanted to join um but aside from the amount of time spent talking about that the actual sort of fighting mechanics which is you know the bread and butter of this game mm. is going out into the world and fighting sort of the native monsters of this planet this world um is not well explained yeah they do, they it, just sort of throw you in now this does feel at least a little bit similar to the xenoblade chronicles uh, uh mm-hmm. fighting engine like the combat system yeah. Which, I think I think it's almost exactly the it's same. It's almost exactly the same and it's it's uh it's one that takes a little bit of getting used to and for me it's it's kind of a stumbling block uh I think in in both the original game and in this game because I just I find it a little stiff, I find it a little confusing like and I don't it it's the same issue uh of just not feeling uh there's no tactility, you know, like yeah. I I don't feel like my hits are registering the way I think they're going to. And like dodging doesn't really have any effect here. So I mean, but yeah, I mean, it is kind of a, for people who haven't played it, like the brief explanation is it's really turn-based, um, turn-based fighting mechanics, but it all takes place in real time, but your character will just kind of attack at regular intervals and be attacked. And even though you can move around your character fully and you have full control, no matter how far away you are from the enemy, if you're still in contact, they'll just hit you. Right. Um, and, and like that, you that, have you have kind of these uh, more powerful attacks that uh, you activate by pressing the D-pad. But I, it, I could have used a little bit of explanation. Like you can scroll over it and it'll say like this is what this attack and this is what it does. But you have to wait for these to recharge. Right. And I couldn't really get a bead on how to recharge these because right. it's some of them they seem to do it on their own and sometimes it would be really fast and then other times it didn't really seem to be moving at all. Sometimes it would just have like a big like red Ghostbusters no through it, you know? So like <laughs> I wasn't entirely sure what rules were governing the use of these abilities. And these abilities are pretty necessary because your basic fire isn't going to be doing a whole lot. No, you're starting – like you have control for the most part over what enemies you want to fight. Some of them you can see they have a little red circle over them, which means they will engage you if you get close to them. Mm-hmm. But most of them you can just kind of run past and choose if you want to engage, which is also useful because there will be enemies of way higher level from you right from like you exiting the city. So 
you can just leave and fight a level 35 like flying bird and it'll just kill you in two hits yeah um so you do kind of have to pick and choose and like the level advantages are very significant like if you fight an enemy that's two levels higher than you you're gonna have a hell of a time Um, yeah it's I think that the main sort of strategy of, you know, these Xenoblade games is like combining your arts and techniques with your teammates. Like they might have a technique that knocks the enemy over, topples it, and then you have techniques that deal double damage to toppled enemies. Mm -hmm. The thing that's strange about it is you only control your main character. All of the other characters are controlled by the AI and you so can issue take, them orders, but like that's a little bit more of an in-depth uh, undertaking. Right. It, it really takes a while to figure out what the hell they're going to do and how you respond to that. Um, and, you know, it's it's just what I said. It's like everything here is just kind of dependent on you really settling in and taking the time. Because if you are in it and you're like, all right, I just got a new art. I'm going to figure out what it did and I'm going to explore these systems like that's great um and i think the game will reward you for that it just doesn't i don't i feel like games have made such good strides in terms of being inviting and usable Mm -hmm. um without sacrificing complexity yeah to me the between this game in 2015 and you know more current games now They've just that's where the main improvement is, is games just do a much better job explaining how their systems work without feeling like they're info dumping you and presenting the text and interface in a much bigger, clearer way. Yeah. And that's another criticism I have of this game is like there is a lot of information on the screen at once and it's not necessarily mapped to any logical button or way to approach it. Um there's no way to bring up the map on the TV. That's always done um, via the gamepad, mm-hmm. which I think works okay. But again, it's just I want sort of more choices and options there or abilities to really zoom in. And for a Wii U exclusive, this doesn't really use the gamepad a lot. Like it has one of the more detailed map screens that I've seen on the, the Wii U so far. Like and, there's a lot, you I, have a lot of uh, options to tinker with that map. But that map, I think, is is essential. Like, you have to use it to fast travel, which means that even though you can play this game on the gamepad itself, mm-hmm. it's almost unplayable because you don't have the map, so you lose the ability to fast travel, and the text is just outrageously small. Yeah, yeah. It can be and, pretty hard to see. I mean, in a lot of ways, like you mentioned Knights of the Old Republic earlier, and that's kind of a good comparison for this battle system and that's a the the kotor battle system is one i always struggled with too despite like this like i love the world and the 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 energy of the series but the combat is something you kind of have to push past because it's not very tactile it's not very satisfying and it's really just kind of a lot of like watching your characters swing at each other and watching numbers pop up over each other so it it, it doesn't have that feel I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on that one. I like I like the Xenoblade combat system. I, I wrap my head around it in the first game, and I feel like if I was interested in putting the time, I could wrap my head around it here okay. and still have a pretty good time. So you and I coming down on a lot of different sides of this one. Oh, the, the, it's it's the it's the move now. It's the distance yeah, it's the between, rift us. between us. I'm, I'm in well, a different kind of, we, we, polarization keeps te- is tearing the Wii universe apart. Let's say I'm in a different uh, hemisphere now. I, I don't think I am, but let's say that I am. Yeah. Uh, I will say, like, I, I love just, like, walking. Like, I, just, I love just the uh, uh, process of getting around in this world because your character is very, very fast. He has I a, love the sprint. It's a good, good sprint. And it's an endless sprint. You never need to yeah. worry about, like, running out of breath. And you've also got this great jump, like this yeah. really satisfying floaty jump where you swing your arms in the air like an Ang Lee's Hulk movie. And, like, you're just, it, it feels really good. And I just kind of like does. running I, around I agree. in this world. That does world. feel really good. Um, I, I, you also swim very fast and yes. just, I randomly got punished for that because I just ran into the water and swam very far out. I'm like, oh, I wonder what would be out here. And then nothing was out there. And I had to spend like I could either spend five minutes swimming back to shore or fast traveling somewhere else. You found just this unfinished uh, part of the first level of Golden Well, they just Eye, really you know? let you swim out very far to just kind of the edge of the world. And I'm like, well, if they let me go out this far, there must be some great secret over here. Yeah. And it's like, nope, they just wanted to make the world 
world really, really big. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, and, you know, so I, I enjoy that, the, just the navigation of it. And I, I had several, like, holy shit, look at this moments, like, just looking around and just looking at the landscapes. Uh, the moment where you first come up on the down habitat and it's, like, exploded with ice, you know, all these just gigantic blue crystals coming out of it. And it's, like, taller than the camera can pan up for. Like, I don't know. I, th- I thought that was huh. really um, affecting and really cool. Okay. Um, but and I, and I think, like you said, like I think I can probably get on board with the combat system. Like it wasn't distracting to the point of like, oh, I'm like, oh, fuck this game, you know. But it it was. Uh, I think I've just gotten spoiled by the more action oriented games that I've been playing. Um, yeah, exactly. And there's just a lot of mechanics here that kind of make sense once they're explained or you see them in action. You're like, oh, I get it now. But the game does such a poor job explaining them and they all have weird other names. It's like you can gain division points and blade points and battle points and ability points. And it's just like, all right, just simplify a little bit game. And you know, that's the trade off is this game really, really has a ton of content. Yeah. Um, Like that's, that's kind of your main selling point for this game is you're really going to get a lot of gameplay. And at least to me, that is no longer a selling point. Right. There's been so it used to be that having a game of a big epic scope was like felt really cool to be like, all right, this adventure is going to take at least 30 hours to get through and there's tons and tons of extra content to explore. Whereas now there's even if you were only interested in these kind of big open world games, there's so many of them now that have been sort of big genre defining things that it feels challenging to go back to this one from 2015. Yeah. And that's not a criticism, like, that's not really this game's fault. No, not really. I think it was really. very ambitious for the time, but, I mean, what, like, The Witcher 3 would have come out maybe three or, three years after this? Yeah, I think so. And, and just in terms of, like, that game sort of presenting everything in a much more user-friendly way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's an easier one to just kind of pick up and get into. You know, and uh, there's there's really a lot I like about the series. We didn't even really get into, into any of the mech stuff. Did you mess around with the mechs very much, the skills? No, I, I didn't get far enough to be able to afford a skill. See, I didn't either, and I played, you said you played for about three and a half hours. I played for yep. about four hours around there, like, you know, so, again, these are, we've we've said this every time, like, a big RPG comes up, but this is the kind of game that sort of defies the format of our show, you know, if we're doing a weekly check-in with these games, we're not going to be able to put in the time required to really sort of get into a game like this. Uh, but, but what we can say is, like, does it grab you? Does it make you want to uh, keep playing it? Does it make you want to explore the world a little bit? For me, I don't think I'm quite there. Um, no. I think this it feels like it's just sort of a slightly less compelling um, Xenoblade Chronicles, which I still haven't fully gotten right. into yet either. So I feel like if I'm going to go back to the series, I'm probably going to go back to that original first. Uh, that's not to say I think this is a bad game at all. I think it's yeah. it's really got a lot of uh, strengths to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm totally there with you. I feel like at three and a half hours in, I, I should, if I'm going to be in, I should be in. And I think it's hard. This game is so deliberate in its pacing mm-hmm. that it they've given me no incentive to sort of keep playing. Like, it very much like the first thing that you do when when Elma rec, rec, rescues you from the pod is she's like, yeah. oh, we've rescued you. We have to get you a job. And like that just made me sad. I'm like deep in the future, you get rescued on pod and you're a new planet. And they're like, hmm, how could you work for us? And I'm like, oh, there's no escaping it. Um, and that's how this game kind of feels even three hours in. Yeah. There's not a sense of like, you need to go and like solve this mystery about the world or learn something more about yourself. Like you have amnesia. Of course you do. But yeah. they just attest that to like, oh, you were just in a pod for a long time. And it's a little sad. Like the first Xenoblade Chronicles is is a game that takes its time to unfold like most RPGs. But I remember willing to push through that amount of time and being into into it. Whereas here I'm like, you know what? I just I, I don't have it in me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm kind of there with you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I still really like having this big old box on my shelf. I still think Oh, yeah, no, cool. it, no question and about the box. It's a good box. It's, <laughs> it's a, great a box, box beyond reproach. Well, do we have anything so, else to say about this game? Uh, no. I think we kind of got it. I'd be curious yeah. if, if, you've, if you, the listener, have spent 200 hours playing Xenoblade Chronicles X right in and and tell us about that experience and if you ever used any of the online multiplayer biz yeah because that's a weird addition yeah and that's just gone like there's just no way for us to experience that anymore well let's move on to our rankings each week we are ranking the games that we just played uh and fuck i just realized do you have access to the spreadsheet because uh no i don't but i'll figure it out okay well we'll go first all right um i am you know i'm giving this game a lot of points for its style for its uh, artistic vision and for um, continuing and being in like an excellent series, you know, like from from what I understand to be an excellent series. Like I see the potential here. It didn't quite grab me enough to play through 70, 80 hours of it, but I I respect this game a lot more than I like it. Um, So I am putting this in the same field as other games that follow that same quality. Um, it's going to be right underneath Super Luigi U at number 35. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, maybe because we're not in the same place, so we're no longer able to kind of temper each other's emotions. <laughs> this happened with Anduin the First Mage. And I'm certainly, just to be cool for the Nintendo 64, this game is much, much better than that game. Oh, yeah, yeah. But... Um, I did kind of run up against some of the same difficulties of just like this sense of, come on game, let's move it around. Let's move it along. Um, I'm putting it in, um, I'm going to put it right under monster hunter. No, I'm going to put it right under Terraria, which is number 71, um, right ahead of monster hunter three ultimate. Okay. I do feel like it's very comparable. Yes. I feel like it's very much the same itch as monster hunter games where I'm like, I know this is a thing of quality, but I'm not very engaged by the aesthetic, and just playing it kind of feels more like a sense of obligation than a sense of joy. Yeah, and I, I think oh. that's just the biggest difference there, is just how much more the aesthetic worked for me than it did yeah. for you, which uh, which is totally fair, and that's very subjective, you know? Like, and the that's... nice thing is that's pretty easy. You should be pretty easy to tell, like, without even playing this game. Like, you can watch some videos of this game and be like, yeah, that's a world I'm interested in running around in. Totally. Like, you'll get a lot more about out of this game, whereas me, I'm just like, oh, look, metallic rocks and <laughs> planes. Like, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, well, we have a couple of letters here. Uh, uh, this first one starts, hello, Steve, Woody, and insert name here. Uh, closet, I guess. <laughs> the Closet is the new third co-host of the show. Okay, okay. Uh, long-time listener with a question. With the Killer Clowns from Outer Space game announced, is there any <laughs> license you want to see turned into an asynchronous multiplayer game? For example, I would love to see Jaws in a game where one person plays as a shark and the other people hunt the shark. Uh, thanks for the amazing oh, entertainment. Idea. Keep up the great work, guys. And that is from Jackson in Utah. Thanks, Jackson in Utah. Yeah, uh, um, that Killer Clowns game looks fun. I, You know, I've not fully gotten on board with these asynchronous multiplayer games. Like, I've played a bit of Friday the 13th, and I, I think it's it's fun for what it is. But, like, I, I and I know the new Evil Dead game is out, and that's kind of doing the same thing. Uh, you know, but uh, I think the Killer Clowns one could be interesting. Do you have a, a franchise that jumps out of you? Well, I think I've got a pretty good one. Okay, but I, I think I want to back up a little bit because I haven't played either of this the Evil Dead or the um, uh, Friday the 13th game. And so do, I'm assuming that you play it online, right? Yeah, it's online only. Uh, one person is Jason and then the rest are the uh, campers. And now, you either need to survive and escape or – yeah. And, and here's the problem is I can't – I haven't played that. I can't attest to its particular quality. But I think to find the real joy in that style gameplay, you need to do something local. Uh, yes. That, and that's the, the thing. This is the thing that the Wii U would have been amazing at. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and like – because you probably haven't taken the effort to like set up a time with five of your friends where we're like, okay, we're all going to be online and play this Friday the 13th game. Yeah. Because I feel like that would be the way to play it and have a good time. And so I think until – they figure out a way to like, I don't know. Sorry. I feel like I'm very rambly this episode, but no, like, no. I feel like 
they online multiplayer there's probably people out there who really set up time to play with their friends and make sort of a local ish event out of it even if they're online but you and i have just never quite wrapped our hand around that yeah and to play a sort of asynchronous team-based game with random people on the internet does not sound enjoyable to me yeah um, uh, well, i i can yeah. get into it for the aesthetic and for the style like i think I'm, I was trying to think outside of horror movies, but I re- I thought of like an actual really perfect uh, well, franchise for this, and I'm it is a horror. That you know, we're gonna say the same thing. So, um, w- are we gonna say the thing? Oh no, that's a good oh, one though. I was no, gonna say I, the thing. <clears throat> that is a really excellent idea. Yeah, one person and because you you all look the same. Oh, that would be dope. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. The one I was thinking of was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh sure. Because uh, that's basically what that movie already is. You know, you're either and and uh, a good maybe half of that movie is just a relentless chase scene, you know, from from an unstoppable monster. So that how would fit. but I, I, think, I like the, the thing better. What would make that gimmick distinct from, you know, the Friday the 13th one? That's the thing. Yeah, that because it would be kind of more of a reskin of that, I suppose, uh, unless there's uh, more of like a rescue component. You know, you need to go in after your friends and that's why you have to keep going into the house. Yeah, but I think the thing would be a more uh, novel take on that concept. Yeah, some sort of some sort of a deduction aspect. And it's like you could really make it not much more comp, not too much more complicated than an Among Us or like jackbox type of thing um, oh, totally. and still have it pretty satisfying it's yeah no i think that's the right one i think people need to make the thing game uh right now i think it mm-hmm. needs to happen because there's one thing game out there and it's fine but it hasn't aged super well and it's not we need more it's not the definitive thing that's what we're looking for <clears throat> exactly exactly we're looking for the thing yeah not just uh, a thing so our next letter says hey steve woody quick snake check I don't know what that means. Oh, I guess maybe there's a oh. snake in your boot. Yep. You know, okay. I got a, I got a lot of that in uh, in middle school, in oh, elementary fair. school. We've heard it all before. Moving on. <laughs> uh, you guys mentioned one of my favorite series recently, the Earth Defense Force series. Are oh, fun, yeah. Fun games that are all about how many enemies we can fit in a screen because it's fun to blow them up. Yep. Is it too late to get an Ultra 64 DD run on this series? <clears throat> yep, it Excuse is. Me. I'm sorry. Afraid so, but you know that is that would have been a fun one. There are six games in I that mean, series. You would know? it have they, been a fun one? They're well, kind it would have been the same, same game. It would have been like, the same And this one. one, there's 30 ants on the screen, and this other one, there's 35 ants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Do you, in- yeah. do you include the uh, Super Nintendo side-scrolling shoot 'em up called Earth Defense Force that has Which, nothing to do with it? Right. That's like jets or something. Like that's I forget. <laughs> yeah, what that it's was like, very but... unrelated. But, you know, unfortunately, you can't catch that. But you can uh, find series uh, from more than a dozen other different franchises, plus our current one on Metal Gear Solid right now by going to patreon.com slash ultra 64 pod. Wait, was that the was that the entire did we skip the part of the letter? No, that was the whole letter. That was from. uh, I don't know if I said the name. That was from Adam. Thank you, Adam. Adam like. All right. So that was the synopsis of that letter is Adam likes Earth Defense Force. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I thought, hey, why not drop a plug for Ultra 64 DD? Why not? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Uh, So the last letter that says, hey, Steve, Woody and yes, possible guests. Uh, I'm an old man like you guys who grew up (laughs) squinting at Game Boy screens in the sun, blowing in cartridges and jumping around in Super Mario 64 just for the hell of it. Nice. A friend of mine recommended your podcast a year or so ago, and I've been bopping around between N64 and Wii U episodes for a while, and I've really enjoyed your hot takes and humor. The <laughs> Mega Man 64 and Family Party 30 Great Games episodes were particularly hilarious to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, so anyway, I'm writing in today because of your recent Mario Kart 8 episode. Your guest brought up the fact that there's a drinking game you can play while racing, which I believe is called Drunk Driving, and then kind of backpedaled, and you were all throwing out other possible names. Perhaps you know, uh, already know by now, but the best and most commonly used name for the drinking game is Birio Kart. I did not okay. actually know this. I hadn't heard this phrase before, but that makes sense. Yep. Uh, you couldn't hear me when I was driving home while listening to you guys, all the while getting louder and louder inside my car with cries of the eventual shouts of Birio Kart, Birio Kart! <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, okay, now I need to stop writing as I have 100 bunches of basil to pick before it gets dark as I have a farmer's market tomorrow morning. And that is from Brad. I just like that last detail at the end. Like, I don't know. I, I like that I, I like like you, you selling a bunch of basil at the farmer's market. You, 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 Steve, the reader, could not help yourself from getting a little rhythmic in the reading of 100 bu bundles of basil to pick. 100 and bunches I, I, of basil to pick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of unconscious. I wasn't even trying to do that. I like Burio Cart. Maybe it's a uh, maybe that's a regional thing. Maybe when you come back to Washington from uh, Austin, you'll greet us with all the new names of drink uh, Mario Kart drinking games that you've learned. Yeah, we just call all drinking games Coke, uh, regardless okay. of what kind of uh, a drinking game <laughs> sure, it is. Exactly. They're just all Coke. Yeah, so <laughs> that's the one thing I know about Texas. Um, yeah, so those are all the letters. Thank you, everybody, for sending those in. We always appreciate it. Uh, so that is it for us this week. Be sure to tune in next week. Uh, we're going to be playing some games based on Nickelodeon franchises. Now, Woody, what is the most beloved Nickelodeon franchise, do you think? Uh, Good Burger. Good Burger. Probably that. Now, now, what is like the 170th most beloved <laughs> Nickelodeon franchise, do you think? Uh, the Amanda Bynes show? Getting close. That's basically okay. what we're going to be playing. Uh, we're playing games based on two different Nickelodeon shows. One of them is called Monster High. The other one is called Ben 10. Uh, okay. There's 10 Bens, apparently. I know nothing that, about either of these shows. too many Bens. It's too is many Bens. Only, is there only one Ben 10 game? There are two Ben 10 games. There are okay. two Monster High games. So we're going to be cramming. We're going to be cramming a lot of <laughs> high-quality content, I guarantee. Good. I'm excited. I'm sure they'll put Xenoblade Chronicles X to shame. Oh, they, they absolutely will. Uh, so tune in next week for that. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You'll find us at Ultra64 Podcast on all the different social media things. That's also our email address at gmail.com. Once again, check out the Patreon, Ultra64Pod at Patreon.com. We've got a whole bunch of content, like 200 hours or so of content that is still available on that site, $5 only. So go check it out. And we will see you next week for some Nickelodeon games, monsters, <laughs> 10 bends, everything you could have wanted. Wow. If that, if that doesn't get you interested... Listen to our podcast and your wildest dreams will come true. What do you want? That's... Eleven bends? We're not yeah. magicians. We're not made of bends. We're not made of bends over here. All right. We'll see you later.